This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. So today we got Luis Cabrera, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt out of Bronx, New York. He trains at Bronx Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, what competitions you been in? Uh, the IBJJF, uh, New York Pro. Four-time, uh, four-time medalist, right? Uh, five-time medalist. Five-time three medalist. silver medalists. Three silver medals, two bronze medals. Um, I competed at Worlds a couple times. Um, I didn't place, uh, but you know, that's the journey. Still you didn't the fight to win? I uh, haven't done fight to him yet, no. So that's uh, that's on the list too. That's cool. One of my goals. So I'm gonna start it off just by asking you: When did you first hear about BJJ? Um, well, I always wanted to do martial arts ever since uh, I was a kid. Uh, my uncle, he was really into kung fu, mm-hmm. so um, I originally wanted to do kung fu at first, and then I saw the Jason Bourne movies, and mm-hmm. you know how he was moving. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, I wanna. I want to beat people up like that. So um, with all the hand trapping and yeah, all of that, it just looked cool. So I started going on a you know YouTube search and went down the YouTube rabbit hole and found uh, that BJJ Gracie playlist mm. where you know it has all of them you know going into the gym. Yep, yep. uh, the challenge and, matches. Yeah, going against all of the arts, and I was just uh, you know amazed. So I googled BJJ uh, schools around you know the Bronx, and I ended up at. Um, Castle Hill at Jungle Gym. There. How old were you at the time? I was 22 when I first started. Yeah, um, and that was an MMA school, so that was the first time I legitimately really got punched in the face by someone who was actually skilled. Yeah. You know, so and it was eye opening. Uh, so, so you you started when you started jujitsu? When you started just jujitsu, or you started everything at once? Um, I started everything at once because it was an MMA school okay. when I got there. So the Jiu-Jitsu was the first thing I was exposed to when I got there. So um, this is a funny story. So I walk in, and I was being super judgmental. You know, I walk in. They pair me up uh, with this guy. It was a heavy set guy mm-hmm. um, who turned out being, you know, a good friend of mine. Uh, and I was like, oh, man, they paired me up with this guy. I'm definitely, you know, like when we get to sparring, I'm definitely going to put the work. I'm yeah, going to be yeah. faster, you know, whatever. And uh, we were doing triangles at the time, and he put me in a triangle choke, and I started seeing spots, and I like I really I couldn't believe it. Then when we got to rolling, he was just taking it real easy on me, you know, and I was just getting overwhelmed, and he looked like he was just, you know, not even trying, you know what I'm saying? So that kind of opened me up. I'm like, wow, if he's able to do that to me, like I want to know what he knows, you know. So that kind of like lit a fire under me, and I stayed there for a little bit. Um, wasn't as consistent as I wanted to be, you know. Then I left and kind of came back. Then I moved around Pelham Bay, and that's when I found uh, Bronx Jiu Jitsu about mm-hmm. two, three years later. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was just, uh, I don't know. I, I made a commitment, and at some point, I remember telling myself that, uh, you know, I'm going to be a black belt. So I had made up my mind. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a black belt, and I just have to train more. So even though I was tired some of the days, I made a commitment that today I'm going to train jujitsu. I don't know about tomorrow yet, but today I'm going to do it. So I went and I trained. I'd go to sleep, and tomorrow would be the same mentality. I don't know about tomorrow. Tomorrow I may be tired, whatever, but today, 
today I'm going to walk in, you know, and then once I got used to it, you know, it was a wrap from there. So when you, when you were 22 is when you started training in all types of martial arts. Right. And you would do what? Kickboxing, Muay Thai? It was mostly Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and Judo. Okay. <clears throat> and Judo. So I really got attracted to Judo, too, because of the throws. And was there a situation not in a movie or not in a gym, per se, that made you th say you wanted to start training? Um, I mean, I, I got jumped a couple times in high school, but um, it, it was nothing like, you know, you'd get into fights and you kind of think that you, you know what you're doing, yeah. but you really don't. Um, and it wasn't until I walked into the gym when I started rolling and sparring for real that I realized, like, um, you know, it wasn't nothing outside that made me realize it until okay. I, I actually came in and did it for myself. So I always had an interest in it. So when I came in and did it, that's when I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, I had no idea, mm -hmm. you know. To this day, I, I, I <laughs> me and my cousin, we, we have a funny story because there was, uh, I was messing with this girl once and she had a, a boyfriend at the time and he was like six, seven. Okay. And I was just like adamant, you know, like, uh, you know, talking to her and he got upset. And then, you know, there was words that exchanged. And now me and my cousin looked back and we were like, so you were really, you know, aggressive with that guy. He was six, seven. Like, what if he would have pressed you at that time? And I think about it and I'm like, bro, I would have gotten washed. Mm. Like that guy would have really gave me the business, you know, so. Yeah, I think the whole rolling thing is really interesting. Well, not just rolling, but sparring in general, especially your first few times that you do it, mm -hmm. because you have all these ideas, especially as, as, as a man in this society, you got all these ideas of who you are and what you would do in certain situations until you're actually in it. Especially, you can tell, like, especially in any type of striking, when someone who hasn't, first time they spar and they get punched in the face, they'll usually like, look away, they'll put their hands up and start looking away, or like look away when they get punched as... You, you know that they haven't, maybe they haven't trained too much if they look away or they close their eyes when they're about to get hit. Mm -hmm. Or you have all these ideas of what you would do. And a lot of people, especially with jujitsu, since you're wearing a gi, it can also, it can always, it can really, you're wearing a gi and then you're also rolling and it looks like you, me, if I was looking at it and had never done it before, I would be like, oh, what the fuck? I'll just get up and do this. You know what I mean? That's what I would think or... I'll just pick them up at any given... I'll just stand up or something like that, right? And the gi doesn't really help because it can really look like a McDojo type mm -hmm. of thing of... Uh, no, I'm not trying to disrespect any other martial arts, but you know what I mean. It can look like something, some uh, very sacred thing that you're not allowed to test outside of that realm. Right. Like gimmicky a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know, I feel like jujitsu, there's a little denial there because when you first try it and somebody submits you, you're like... You know what? It that was, was luck. a fluke. It that was, was luck. Yeah, yeah, I made yeah, a mistake. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's try it again. Let's try it again. And then you go back at it, and the person gets you either with the like. I've rolled with people that literally tap me with the same exact submission over and over and over again. You know, to kind of like make a point. Like, hey, yeah, you're, yeah, you're making you this again. mistake. Yeah. You know, and they keep exploiting the same mistake, and you're like, wow, how are they? You know, and then you think at the higher level, you know that yeah, it gets easier against the newer people coming in but then against other people who are who've been there you know just as long or longer you know in the same level there's a, a level discrepancy there mm. too so you'll go against some black belts you know and you'll have a good role and then you'll go against other black belts and you know like real high level black belts and they'll put the work on you and it's just eye-opening it's just a different you know? it's like they're on a different level right it's just really really 
sick to see, you know, and it gives you something to aspire to, you know, to want to work towards. Yeah. So I don't know if they, they told you or anything, but so the way I started uh, getting wanting to start training some grappling martial arts is because I was boxing before and before that I had done some other stuff, but it was all striking stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just uh, had the idea that striking was just really all you needed. If not, maybe at least it was 95 percent of what you needed. And, um, you know, it's very easy if you're doing a certain type of uh, combat sport to think that that is that is the end all be all, especially especially in boxing. They're uh, very close minded to anything that isn't that they just kind of laugh at it. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're, at, if you're at like some sort of old school gym with old school trainers who grew up doing this and that. Anything else is, is just, it's like a magic or just like a game, right? So um, to the point where you don't even question yourself. You get into a clinch and you, maybe you start infighting. But who, who, in, who infights outside? Right. Who's mm -hmm. going to do that? I would never do that. So um, yeah, my friend got into some fight and uh, they started striking. And then the big guy, he was a little bit bigger than my friend, and he ended up like grabbing him, pushing him, pushing him against a, uh, a, a grate, like, uh, like a cage, whatever. Not a cage, uh, what's it called? Uh, the storefront. The, the roll-down gates. Yeah, the roll-down yeah. gates. And then neither of them won, right? So then they just clinched, they just both fell, and it was super sloppy. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, damn, I, I don't know what to do in that situation either. Because a big thing for me is, uh, I don't know why, but I've always just thought that as, as a person, you really need to know you can depend on yourself, not, not just in physical situations, but just in anything. You got to right. know you can depend on yourself, period. Even if that means uh, getting beat up, but at least you, you, yeah, they end up getting clinched. And a big thing for me was knowing that I can depend on myself. Even if I get beat up or anything, at mm -hmm. least I know that I put in, I wasn't just like a defenseless human being in that situation. And it goes far beyond just physical confrontation. So anyways, the way I saw that, because I was with a crew of people and all of them saw that fight. Mm -hmm. But no one thought to themselves, damn, I should start training now. Right. Uh, but I really went home and thought about it. I'm not even kidding, like a hundred times. Mm -hmm. I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and how sloppy they looked. And I remember watching it, not knowing anything about any kind of grappling at all and thinking, I bet you if one of them had trained seriously for just two months, like I'm talking serious, like twice a day, every day, two mm -hmm. months and studying stuff when they get home, they would have been drastically different. And that's just with two months. Now imagine two years four years then it's over with Imagine four years. 10 years yeah yeah so a black belt right yeah so i did like mm -hmm. my little research and then i came across uh, jujitsu i started watching the challenge matches mm -hmm. that you talk about and i started realizing granted in the, at that time period nobody knew anything about grappling right and honestly in my opinion a lot of the people who went into those challenge matches didn't even know how to strike period mm -hmm. um but i wanted to ask you about that you know how the challenge matches, they don't really happen anymore, at least not as much as they used to. Why do you think they don't happen anymore? Is it because more people know that jiu-jitsu exists, so there's no need to go in and test, test it? Or? Right, and then I, I think also a lot of inter, uh, interdiscipline training is going on now. So mm. that makes martial arts really open the door. Whereas learning how to fight, I, I even think a specialist in jiu-jitsu wouldn't be a complete fighter. Although mm -hmm. they would have yeah. a... a, a you know, certain advantage to yeah. some extent, but a really good wrestler that could defend a takedown yeah. would give that jujitsu specialist a really hard time if that jujitsu specialist can't box or take anyone down. See what I'm saying? So now with a lot of gyms opening up that are not just jujitsu based or karate based, they're MMA based, you yeah. know, so they have a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's kind of hard to have like 
you know, jujitsu specialists walk into a gym and say, you know, I want to challenge, mm. I want to challenge your master. You know, you, you, uh, MMA, you know, professional fighter comes out and you're a jujitsu specialist, you know, you may be in trouble, yeah. you know, or, um, or even if you have an MMA guy going to another MMA school, you, you might as well just sign up for the UFC. That's what they do, you know, challenge MMA guys. So I think the UFC really kind of, that's, that's the platform that they use now to do the challenges as opposed to walking mm. into gyms. Okay. You know? you, in your experience, you've never had someone come in and try to give some sort of challenge? No, I, I, people have, there's been one or two guys, you know, <laughs> that came in, but um, I think it's more all talk. You know, because after you say, okay, yo, you want to sign the waiver. And then, you know, then the conversation so it's happened. changes. Yeah, you know, they'll come in or, or they'll say something, you know, smart. And we'll be like, well, you can come train. You know, we don't have to step outside. We can do it legally right yeah. here. You know, but yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. No one ever stepped on the mat. So my right? question is, if someone were tomorrow morning, come in and be like, you know, offer up a challenge disrespectfully or respectfully. What would be your uh, your um, your action? I would offer them to come to the competition class. No, but they wanna <laughs> they wanna no holds bar Valley Tudo, uh, minus eye gouging and stuff like that. Um, we won't offer that at our academy just because you know it's it is a business. Yeah, so, yeah. And they won't offer it if you're challenging me directly. It depends how I feel on that day. You know, I might take you up on it. Uh, you know, I might not. I might have a class. I might be, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, really depends. Because um, I've seen some videos of, of back in the day. They would just kind of stroll in mid-class. Yeah, yeah. And be persistent. And then <laughs> and then they'd end up getting their ass whooped or something. Yeah, it's different. But, like, you know, like I said, now you have, like, MMA. So it's really, you know, that's an MMA match, which mm. you're basically asking mm. for, right? You're yeah. asking for an MMA match. Yeah. You know, so if you really want to do MMA, then, you know, yeah. sign up to a gym and let's do MMA. You could really do it at the gym. Like, yeah. just sign up, sign the waiver. Come but, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The Jitsu hits. <laughs> you yeah. know, but going back to um, what you said about fighting outside the gym, I spoke. we spoke to Mike and Andrew before, mm -hmm. and they said that, you know, before they started training that, you know, in their past they got into fights, you know, in school or in their mm -hmm. childhood. But once they started training a martial art, their mindset changed and they don't look for fights no more. What do you, what do you think that comes with? Like the discipline or? I think it comes with the confidence. It's two, it's two things, mm -hmm. right? One, so I'll tell you my journey. So it's like a higher white belt to blue belt-ish. I felt my confidence rise where I'm not going to say I would look for problems, but I would no longer run from mm. a situation mm. either. Whereas before I started training, you know, if like, you know, uh, somebody looked at me a little weird, you know, I might feel intimidated a little bit, mm. you know, whereas, you know, as a white or, you know, even as a blue belt coming up, then that shyness went away. Mm -hmm. I was no longer worried. Not to say I was out there, you know, what are you looking yeah, at? Yeah. I wasn't doing that either, but like, I was no longer afraid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you, you want to come, all right, you know, come, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. And then, um, also, I think that um, live rounds during the classes offers a stress relief and you no longer need to challenge yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't have the live rounds, there's like a certain need to kind of prove to yourself to see mm. where you're at, mm. yeah, you yeah. know. But if you have live rounds and there's someone, you know, you have a good round with this person, then you have someone more experienced who's giving you yeah. the sauce and putting yeah. you, you know, in your place, setting your ego. You know, now you leave with like, 
okay, where you kind of know where you're at in a sense of things. You Especially know? you're rolling with people that have experience. So when you look at people in the outside world, you realize that, you know, these people aren't training. Mm-hmm. You don't say that with like ego, but you, it's reality, you know, like, because right. what, like, I think less than 5% of the people in the world train jujitsu, I yeah. think, or whatever it was. And yeah. mm-hmm. so when you are rolling with people that are experienced, kind of you look at the people in the outside world as, why, what do I need to prove? You know what I mean? I know where I'm at in my stage of the game. And the people outside, I mean, that's, I could just walk away from that. You know? And you can never tell, too. Remember yeah, my story with, with, with my friend, right? Yeah, the yeah, reset guy. Know. I was judging him right yeah, when I came in. Yeah. Now, if I would have saw him in the street, mm-hmm. you know, he probably would have killed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, like, um, y- you just can never tell. And once you realize that, you know, yeah. I'm sure there are guys at the gym, you know, tiny, right? Little Jonathan, Killer Koala, right? He's super tiny. He's I would small. assume that. They wouldn't, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah no. me and Felix, we see that a lot. We, like, send each other people that uh, we would think that, you know, they I look know, like yeah. regular people, mm-hmm. and then, but you don't know that this person will, like, kill you, you know? Yeah, they're going to kill you. Yeah, it's, it's insane, but getting back to the whole uh, challenge match thing, you said it's about now they have MMA gyms yeah. and stuff like that. It almost seems to me from, from doing some YouTubing that gyms back in the day, the jiu-jitsu gyms, I'm saying, they pretty much were MMA gyms. They had uh, what's it called, the uh, pisao, the kick where they where they kick towards the knee. Right. Uh, a lot of it. They weren't heavy on striking. It would be it would be very clear during the challenge matches that they weren't heavy on striking, mm-hmm. but they had an answer to the strikes, as opposed to now. There's a lot of sport oriented jujitsu, and I actually wanted to talk about your thoughts on that, the sport oriented side of it. Um. So basically, I was watching uh, this, you know, Faraz Sahabi, mm-hmm. TriStar Gym Coach, yep. Charles St. Pierre and all that. He was talking about um, how a while ago, the, uh, Japan, some official from Japan sent these two karate guys, or th- I think it was three karate guys to Thailand mm-hmm. to see how they do against the Muay Thai fighters. This was a long time ago. And he, he says, and I believe him, that um, I think it was two out of the three karate guys won. And then he said, try that now. Because... You know, the, the Thai guys probably give it to him. Right. And he, he says that the reason that that happens is because uh, when, when karate came to America, it really started to get watered down because people want uh, this status of belts and this prestige of, oh, I know this and this martial art without the hard work. And in order for gyms to stay open, if other gyms are giving belts easier, the average person might not want to really hustle and grind for a certain mm-hmm. uh, attainment. So um, karate started getting watered down until what it is now and i know there are mma fighters and there are people and there are techniques in karate that do work in certain situations but just the 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 just the truth is that against a pure thai fighter you're gonna have a lot of problems and uh i actually was thinking about that in the sense of jujitsu that it's very clear that uh and like me as someone who's been training jujitsu you know it's not like i enjoy saying this but it's very clear that compared to what it was then where all the gyms were more or less MMA schools or they had some answers to strikes. I'm sure there are just people who know absolutely no defense to strikes minus maybe plead your uh, elbows up and just come in. What if that doesn't work? Right. Uh, what do you think about that? The whole sport thing? Um, so I don't have a, a issue with the sport aspect just simply because if um, think of it like a game, like if it's, you know, like a baseball game or a basketball game, if it's something that you want to do, you want to engage in the sport, you can go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. Now, is it effective in a street fight? Um, I think is the question, mm-hmm. right? So there are some elements of, uh, there are quite a few elements of the sport variation of jujitsu that won't apply um, in a street fight and actually can very well maybe get you in, tr- in trouble mm-hmm. um, in a street fight. 
particularly playing from guard, um, you know, like certain grips mm-hmm. um, can end you trapping your limbs and then, you know, get, find yourself in trouble in an MMA match. Or, or So you, there has to be some adjustment made. I think it really depends on your goal, mm-hmm. right? If you want to be an MMA fighter, your jiu-jitsu path should be one that involves strikes, mm-hmm. defense against strikes, um, and they have jiu-jitsu for that. Yeah. You know? um, if your goal is to be a jiu-jitsu world champion, then your goal is the sport of jujitsu. You're you're basically you're playing chess in jujitsu, so you could you should focus on that. Um, I just think it, it's separate. Yeah, it's separate mm-hmm. things. But before it was more or less one thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, how do you think? I can just assume your answer, but I just want to hear it. How do you think uh, someone who say they trained sport jujitsu for I don't know three years, four years, mm-hmm. versus uh, a person outside who's trained nothing? But maybe they've been into a street fighter too. I themselves. still think they dominate. Yeah, I think so yeah. too. But mm-hmm. I still think it, it wouldn't be uh, much of a contest, as you know, they'd get dominated on the ground, and you know, so someone who's been training three years, like if they're consistent, they would be a high, a high level blue belt, maybe a purple belt. You know, so they'd be pretty dangerous. Yeah. Because usually most fights they end up on the ground, so someone that trains jujitsu would definitely have the upper hand. I would feel right. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because I know in the UFC, most fights in the beginning started off on the ground, but then as people started learning the takedown defense, then it started switching. In the beginning, a lot of the jiu-jitsu people were dominant. Then it started becoming the wrestlers were dominant. Mm-hmm. Then now it's the strikers, or it's starting to shift. And I, I know that jiu-jitsu is evolving a lot, and that brings me to something I want to talk about, which is Eddie Bravo's rubber guard. Do you think that as time goes on, that will be the the most common guard or no because people i know there's a big uh, backlash against 10th planet because people say he's trying to change things or whatever i mean i i think people uh they get attached to certain ideas mm-hmm. you know and they get emotional mm-hmm. right so when something starts to change yeah. too much from their previous yeah. ideas they feel discomfort because people don't like change. Um, I think it's just jujitsu. Like some people say, oh, I prefer gi jujitsu versus no gi jujitsu. Mm. To me, I see them as both jujitsu. One just has a gi. You have more grips. The other one doesn't. That's pretty much it for me. Yeah. You know? Um, in terms of Eddie Bravo's jujitsu, he has, he specialized in a specific type of guard and he's using, if it works, that's great. If it really works that well, then you should adopt it to your game and yeah, not, yeah, not complain. Like, you understand? Yeah. So I see a lot of that with, you know, um, uh, well, I mean, I don't want to like bring like race into it, but like a lot of Brazilian guys I see mostly they don't like tapping to leg locks and things like that, right? They and, don't like tapping to leg right, locks. Right. They don't like tapping to like heel hooks in particular. You really? Know? So Isn't like, that the one where you should tap to as fast as you can? Yeah. You know, so then um, I don't know. They seem to be, and it's some, I'm not saying all, you know, it's just, you know, uh, yeah, they seem to be like in denial that leg locks work for some reason. You know, some people are. So I don't know. I, I feel like if it, if it works and if it's effective, you should adopt it to your game regardless of what it is. So in some of my jujitsu and takedowns, I mix wrestling with judo. Yeah, like I'm not attached yeah. to this whole it has to be jujitsu, you know, thing. Just yeah. what is works. effective yeah. to get the goal accomplished. Yeah, I think keeping know? an open mind to that will make you become a better... Yeah, much better. You know, you know, and I think the person that has the most tools, you yeah. said, you know, how things are changing, you know, the striker, the wrestler, the jiu-jitsu guy, I think the person with the most tools yeah. is going to be able to 
to succeed the best because you can exploit the holes that the other mm-hmm. person has. Mm-hmm. So you can go down the chain, right? So you can start striking. If the person is just as a good striker as you, you can go for a takedown. Mm-hmm. You see, if, if they don't have that great takedowns, then you can exploit mm-hmm. that. Take them down mm-hmm. and go ground and pound. Or if they have great takedowns, then you can you know fall into mm-hmm. some type of uh, jiu-jitsu exchange where you fall into guard or something like that mm-hmm. and then they're lacking in jiu-jitsu and you, you know, then you can exploit that. So mm-hmm. the one with the most tools is going to be better yeah, off. And you don't have to completely adapt with the times. You can take what you think is beneficial and use what you, th- you know what I mean? Use what right. you think is right. Do you think that leg locks as time goes on will decrease in, maybe not, I wouldn't say efficiency, but uh, the percentage of people getting tapped in by leg locks? Because I know that up until somewhat recently, the leg locks weren't that big of a thing. And then, you know, the John Danaher people and all those people, they made it more popular. But as it becomes more popular, more people are learning it and the defense to it. Do you think there's going to come a point where it's the same as maybe you'd say an arm bar and it's hard to get people with that? Do, I think um, do you play uh, video games? No. Like, no, not at all? Or, <laughs> so, like, there's usually in video games, there's like a meta game, especially if you play online. Yeah. So, like... Uh, like, I, I like Pokemon, so I play Pokemon online, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So there's, like, a metagame. People use, like, kind of the same kind of Pokemon online, mm-hmm. and that would be, like, the bulk of mm-hmm. the best teams. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happens in Jiu-Jitsu. You have the metagame, which is the leg locks and stuff right mm-hmm. now, leg entanglements. And then every so often, like, every generation, it'll shift to, like, a different meta. You mm-hmm. know, somebody will counter the leg locks with, like, let's say back attacks or something mm-hmm. like that. And then you're going to see a whole wave of people countering the leg locks that way. And then that's how techniques get spread. Right, mm-hmm. somebody will do it in competition. I'll be like, "Oh, I like how I countered that." Mm-hmm. And you're gonna study that technique, get it into your game, use it yeah. against somebody else, yeah. teach it to your students, pass it on, you know. And I think that's how everything changes. So every so often, the mm-hmm. game would kind of change, the shift, uh, the focus mm-hmm. would change. Yeah, and we have the advantage of uh, like social media or YouTube, where you can you don't have to be in these competitions. You can literally be at home and you can see what you can use, what you don't have to use. You know, you can see what people are doing. And uh, you can use that in your game. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, now information is available. Man, I can't tell you how my game has changed just by Mm. studying uh, the stuff that's How often do you study these things? Uh, How often do you watch tape and stuff like that? Maybe, like, four days a week, four days out of the week, like, if I had to guess, you know? So, every time, like, I'm pretty much bored, I have it on my my iPad, you know? And I tell people, you don't have to watch the whole, because there's, like... Some of these instructionals would have like 10 mm. hours of, of footage on there. You know, you can break it down, you know, watch. What I like to do is I'll watch one or two techniques and then I'll try to watch matches where they do mm. the, where they execute those techniques, you know, and then I'll see how they get them done. Um, I do a lot of mental reps too. So explain that. Like, um, as I'm going to sleep, you know, sometimes you're just thinking about stuff. Um, so I, I'll run through repetitions in my head of the moves mm-hmm. as I'm going to sleep. And I'll usually fall to that. I'll mm-hmm. fall asleep to that, you know, running repetitions, scenarios, fake matches. I'll visualize myself going on to the fight to win stage, right? That's one of my goals. Mm-hmm. So I visualize myself walking through the smoke, seeing the crowd, visualizing my opponent, you know, passing the guard, getting into my finishing positions, you know, stuff like that. So you think there's a big mental aspect? For sure. For, that's one of the hardest parts about competing, I think, at least for me. Um, practice, right, you know, yeah, it sucks. It's hard, right? You know, it doesn't really feel good practicing, you know, but you get through it. Um, that's the easy part. You just got to go through the motions. You just have to show up, you know, focus on what you're doing. And then, yeah, you're going to get tired, but you push through. Mm-hmm. The hardest part for me is getting on the stage 
and you know not succumbing to my own doubts mentally yeah. you know because yeah. that plays uh a large part you know are people looking at you mm -hmm. you know stuff like that um i don't know that's my biggest area of opportunity so when you go into these competitions there is a part of you just like everybody that has a little bit of doubt yeah man i haven't um and i don't know if any like if anyone has mastered that really but um they'll just fake it yeah i guess bro but i mean it just creeps in all the time you know you're gonna kind of have to like either let it pass right let the thought pass and then just continue you know pushing forward but it always finds its ugly head creeping up i think it's one of those things where something that can really help is knowing that whatever you're feeling they're probably feeling as well right yeah and you just have to front like you're not like you're not feeling that thing yeah and i think like if you start thinking about those things you're not focusing on what you're actually doing yeah. you know if you focus like one of the biggest thing that people say if you, i wish you could compete how you perform at the gym that's the mm -hmm. hardest part if you if you could compete how you perform in the gym like at practice that would be golden, you know, but you, you got to find the right mm. mindset to mm. really focus on your moves and not let all of, all of these things, you know. I feel like the more you think about, you know, the outside forces, you know, oh, yeah. I heard the announcer say my name yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. whatever, the less you're thinking about where, you're, where you and your opponent are entangled in, mm -hmm. you know. So I think if you can just really focus and zone in, you know, and I haven't found that balance yet, but... Mm. Speaking about the mental aspect, I know that, um, there's this thing. It was like uh, that um, basically the ideas that you make on the world, they all come in from your eyes and your ears, but your senses are a very big. They're known to be flawed. They're a big misrepresentation of what might actually be going down. Same thing, your idea of yourself, which is your ego, is an idea that is from your, you know, it's just from what you've, the reality you've created of yourself. It might be completely off for all you know. Uh, how do you think that uh, the ego plays in into jujitsu? And uh, and a junior the other day was telling me about some guy he used to train with who wouldn't shoot, uh, tap to loop chokes to the point where every time they trained, or more or less, like pretty often, the guy would just go out because he'd catch him in a loop choke. And that has to be what all ego. Yeah, I mean, um, I can't speak for him because I personally wouldn't uh, do that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, and we come across, like, I feel like I'll tell you, I, I really have a hard time tapping to wrist locks. Why is that? So I kind of have that same, uh, I don't, I'm really flexible this way. Uh, like fingers down towards your forearm, you know? So like when people do it, I feel like, you know, I've always been flexible that way. So like, you're not going to get me. You like, feel like people, they're trying to sun you or yeah, something? Yeah, like people's yeah. always have, people have always tried. You're not going to be any different type of thing. Okay. And then, um, I don't know. I, I usually end up being all right, but I can't really, I don't know. There's some, I guess that's the same thing with people in the leg locks, right? They uh -huh. just refuse to, uh, yeah, well, that's a good point. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Because a lot of people, they... They have this idea that they're un they're unbeatable. Every guy is like, oh, I, I, I beat him up or I beat him up or I whip his ass or I whip his ass. But if you're training any type of combat sport, you're realizing that there are mad people right next to you who will beat you on any given day fairly often. Yeah. And I think that helps you deal with your, uh, mm. your own faults, not just in jiu-jitsu, but just like your own mental things. You're not, you're not invincible. Mm -hmm. There's mad people. If anything... It's, it's weird because part of me, ever since I started training, not, not jiu-jitsu, but just 
uh, combat sports in general. A part of me is, yes, definitely more confident, but then a part of me is like, oh, well, what? Like, I, I'm more aware of how, how many people could just absolutely annihilate me and there'd be nothing I can do about it. Because before you start, there's this idea of, oh, in a fight, it's all about willpower and who's more alive in that moment or who's more uh, ready to act or whatever, which is definitely a big part of it. Because if someone's, you just sucker punch someone and they think their fight's going to start five minutes from now once some words are exchanged, mm. then, then you just, you have, you gained a massive upper hand. But just in general, especially jiu-jitsu has made me realize that uh, sometimes it's not about will or anything like that and they're just better than you. And Especially if someone keeps training because you told me stories how people have come into the gym and they can't handle being that vulnerable or lack of control since they haven't trained and they don't keep training because their ego gets crushed you know but i could imagine if you keep training that slowly even if you still have that ego and that um illusion of control that you want to always keep i feel like as long as you keep training it inevitably just kind of like shims away you know yeah if anything like nobody really likes to lose mm. you know but you have to get comfortable with the idea of losing mm. if you want to prevail mm. in whatever it is that you're doing mm -hmm. um you have to take a lot of loss uh, at least that's what I've figured out in, in my jujitsu journey. Mm. The times that I've learned the most are the times where I've really gotten really beat up. Mm. You know, all of the, my best moves didn't work and were countered. Those are the times that I've actually learned where my holes are. Yeah. You know, in the game. So um, losing really plays a big part. You know, um, if you quit, uh, which ninety, like think of like ninety-five percent of all white belts. I think don't make it over the blue belt. Wow. You know, you lose the majority of the people that sign up to do jujitsu. Why do you think that is? Um, because they, it goes that back same to that. Right? Yeah, yeah. That same reason. So some people are uncomfortable just, uh, mm -hmm. persevering through, because a lot mm -hmm. of your white belt journey mm -hmm. is honestly you getting beat <laughs> up by other people. Just yeah. getting dominated. Yeah. yeah. A lot so of people the majority, mm -hmm. what you usually learn first is how to not get choked or how mm -hmm. to not get, mounted mm -hmm. right or have your back taken that's usually what you end up learning first escaping those positions and then as a blue belt you start kind of building attacks mm -hmm. after you start learning yeah. how to not get choked you know so um if they can persevere through those six to eight months yeah you know then they can see the light on the tunnel then you have the people that get their blue belt and they feel like it's such an accomplishment that they receive their blue belt that they end up you know driving. really so yeah. yeah so we have two those two yeah. big big drops there so once, would you once they get their purple belt they're mm. more likely to to finish off there what's crazy mm. to me is what's crazy to me is that people people quit because um so when i when i when i went the first time i uh you know obviously i don't know if i'm gonna like it or not if i'm gonna enjoy it but um i know i, I didn't roll for like a little bit because i was doing the the free trial and mm -hmm. there's no rolling in that thing but I, uh, so I didn't really know where I, where I stood. And something in theory is very different from, you know, in practice. You could show someone, like, let's say a Kimura a million times. Mm -hmm. But once they roll, what are they going to be able to do it? Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, yeah, when I rolled it and got stunned, uh, then it was really, like, not about whether I enjoyed doing this or not. I just got stunned. So now I really just have to do it until I'm somewhat proficient. That was my mindset. Yeah. Like, obviously, I enjoy it, but I'm saying in that particular moment i'm like well now i just have to keep going until i'm somewhat proficient you know there's no being like the absolute master there's always going to be someone who, right. who can sun you but that's a big one to me i don't get how people can get dominated like that and then because the thing is it's very different from striking 
Because at least in striking, I'm like, I, there's no moment where you just completely tie me up and I just can't even move in any mm -hmm. direction. Whereas in jiu-jitsu, there's really moments where uh, one time I was rolling with, I think it was Antonio, and I was on the, I was like, my face I was like belly down. And like one arm was here, one arm was like here, and his knees are all the way up to my chest. Mm -hmm. And there's literally nothing I could do. It's a different feeling of being completely dominated. You can't yeah. even move. You can't even move. And it doesn't matter if your mom was there watching you or if your girl was about mm -hmm. to get kidnapped or whatever. Any cra the craziest scenario you could think of, there's, no, there's not a movie where you can just be like, ha, yeah. and get out of it. It's just right. this dude, he's just better than you. I don't get how people can witness that and then be like, no, that didn't happen. Yeah. And, then, and then leave. Walk away. Yeah. How, <laughs> how can you do that? That's crazy. But I guess people's, people's, people just think differently. It's not a big uh, thing to them. Well, some people don't like the feeling. And, and mm. I don't think they're running away from, I need to learn that so I can be proficient. I mm. think they're like, I don't want to feel that ever again. Yeah. So I'm, I'm out. It's mm. People in general, they don't want to feel uncomfortable. Right. So yeah. would you say the white belt journey is more mental, if anything? Overcoming that insecurity, maybe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's that's the breakdown process. Mm -hmm. The ego gets broken down. Yeah. You know, um, some people need to be humbled a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, and then you start working your way back up. Speaking about you insecurities, um, there's this thing that people, everyone thinks is that uh, in terms of bullies, bullies are just, I'm saying this is the thought process. This is not necessarily what I think, but bullies are just really mean people. And if you teach them how to fight, it's only going to get worse because you're teaching someone who's already mean to fight. You're teaching them to hurt people, and now it's going to get worse. But in reality, in my opinion, most bullies are just insecure people, and they do what they do. Obviously, some of it is because of anger, but a big part of it is because they're not secure with themselves or with the world around them or with just in general, they're insecure people. Now, in terms of cops, I know a lot of people, a lot of in the jiu-jitsu community are saying cops should learn jiu-jitsu. Right. And then a lot of people outside of uh, martial arts in general, combat sports in general, say, are you insane? You're going to teach cops jiu-jitsu? I know you, you talk about cops becoming purple belts. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, um, well, let's, let's look at it like this, right? So I think a lot of the situations happen um, when cops are quick to draw their gun or quick to draw their weapon. It's because they're afraid, right, for their life, mm -hmm. quote, unquote. They're afraid for their life, so they pulled their weapon out. Um, so you see that example I gave you when I crossed over from white to blue belt, how I lost yeah. that fear, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, or not the, you know, because you don't know what the person may have, you know? So I, I get why, why they do that. But if they have more tools to handle the situation... Yeah they're not going to be so quick to pull the gun out. Yeah. You understand? So if, if you have an unarmed person who did not pull anything out, you know, and you're a purple belt, brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, there's no reason for a weapon. Right. You're not going to be so quick to draw the weapon knowing you can easily handle the situation. You understand? So I think that if you eliminate the tools uh, from the cops, mm. they're going to be quicker to draw their weapon. Yeah. They right? only have one of two tools then at yeah. that point. So like, look, I, I, I believe I read... Um, they made some changes to the way you are uh, supposed to apprehend the suspects, right? You can't use knee on belly anymore. You can't use side control or mount. Or they, any, they wrote that, really. Right, any position that, that would put pressure on the chest, mm. right? So I don't, uh, you know, what I, what I was telling some people is that how do you have someone who's probably never apprehended yeah. anyone in their life make up rules on how to apprehend people? Yeah. 
You understand? So we have certain people in power that are, you know, basically businessmen and lawyers trying yeah, to make yeah. decisions for something that they have no idea how to do. So I, I want to see how somebody would apprehend me mm. without getting to a knee on belly or chest to chest position. That's to knock me unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, would you have, you have you have to take out the club? You have to pull yeah. the taser. How, out. how is that better? Right. And yeah. now you've seen some people walk through tasers before. So yeah. now you slap somebody <laughs> with a taser yeah. and they feel like you're arresting yeah. them unjustly yeah. and they're running through your taser. What are you going to do? You pull out a real gun. gun. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so I think it'll make the problem worse, and you know they have at least in New York City they they make the cops get sixty credits in school. That's two years education. Why not be concurrent with jujitsu training yes. and de-escalation training? Because a, a and cop all is a physical that. job. Yeah. So how are you not going to train that you, at a high level? Right. You have massage therapists that need to go to school for yeah. longer periods than 100%. than it takes for you to be a cop. You understand? And then not to mention that you know me working at an academy. I can tell you the amount of cops that walk in that are not fully equipped to apprehend anybody. Yeah. And these are people on active duty. Active yeah. duty. That's why they, they need come like in. five people to hold right. down one yeah. person. They come in. So like if, you know, if, if cops didn't have any weapons and you would drop me in the street and I decided I did not want to get arrested, they would have a hard time. You understand? So, um, Especially against you. Yeah, like they, 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 would, they, would need, they would need the proper tools in order to handle that. Yeah, or like 10 more cops. Yeah, so they, they, would, they, like they would partly pull out the gun and shoot me, right? Yeah, that would yeah. be, you know, it's too much, right? So they, if they have the proper tools, then they won't need to pull out the gun. I mean, that's just my feeling. But what are they going to do now, now that it's, now that it's illegal? That, that's a sticky situation, man. Right. You know, I don't know. I, like, defunding the police... I, I get what you're, what they're trying to do. Yeah. I, I get what's behind it, you know. And I'm not gonna say I completely disagree. But if you defund the police without addressing the issues in society, yeah. what are you gonna have? You're gonna have chaos. Hundred percent. Right. You're, you're gonna have chaos because you're. You're not getting down to the root of the problem. Right. Yeah. I feel like the root of the problem should be addressed first, and then maybe uh, the police should be retrained in the meantime. Possibly, you know, maybe repurpose to solve problems as opposed to because the cops are called after the crime is committed they're not even there to prevent crime mm -hmm. you, you understand yeah. so they're not there to prevent somebody from getting raped they're there to when the person gets raped the cops are called they come in yeah and and they try to investigate the person who did it and put them behind bars you know where we should address the issues of you know why did that person do that to begin with maybe there's some psychological problems that happened yeah. back when that person's a kid you know um you know maybe their parents were raising them and they were on drugs you know there were a lot yeah. of economic factors yeah. that play a role into how the person develops so one of the things that i always say is that environment shapes human behavior yeah. so if you have a fucked up system that produces a mm. fucked up result you know you're not going to change that unless you change the system itself yes Right, I, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, I mean that's just how how I feel on it. You know what I think is too is that I think that, you know, I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but at the end of the day, a police officer is a very difficult job. Mm -hmm. Um, you're dealing with straight up chaos, and it's easy to be somebody behind a computer, behind a keyboard, uh, from a place of extreme safety. If you live in a really nice neighborhood and stuff like that. Being like, oh, it's an easy job, or oh, these, this, that, and the third. And I'm not saying that they haven't made terrible decisions in the past and do all the time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is um, it's a hard job, and you should definitely, you got to be equipped for it. And the way that the system is made 
and the way they're trained, they're not physically or mentally equipped mm -hmm. for it. And I think that something like training a martial art would really help them not just physically be able to handle situations, but mentally be more at peace because, yo, you're dealing with chaos. And if people are spitting in your face, your friend got shot, you got to pull out. You think it's an it's obviously I wouldn't like to have need a gun and pull it out every what? Maybe every month or so. I, I wouldn't want to do that. It's mad. Yo, the hormones and chemicals that just are going in through your body when you're pulling out a gun, you're screaming like back up, back up, blah, blah, blah. You're going to be that, you know, your yeah, body's not, in chaos. It's in, it's in a state of stress. And like you were saying, rolling and sparring and all that stuff can really decrease stress and i feel like i was saying this earlier that uh us as humans the reason that working out heavy or, or training heavy and stuff like that and sunlight and stuff like that is really good for us and decreases our depression and stress is because for so many years evolutionarily we were supposed to be we were outside mm -hmm. we were we were working out in the sense of collecting food building this building that doing whatever now it's summer 98 degrees out and i'm in an air-conditioned room and yeah, my mind knows that I'm in this 21st century, but my body, for all it knows, it thinks I'm still in whatever period. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sorry. No, it's all good. Yeah, it thinks I'm in this whatever period. So add into the mix me having to carry a gun, me even just the act of patrolling and looking for people potentially doing things, and I'm sure uh, the looks you get and stuff, it's going to put you in a state of stress. And if you have no way to deal with that, you're going to deal with, it's going to come out some way. So when someone pisses you off, every, cops are, they're just human beings. So at the end of the day, if I say I was a cop and I'm having a bad day, maybe I let it slide then. And then I have the next bad day. Ooh, I'm a little bit tighter. I'll let it slide then till it adds up. And I just seen already a bunch of my teammates punch people in the face. I'm just going to punch somebody in the face because I know I can. All right. And then they need a stress outlet and also a way to calm their mind. And I think that training could be uh really good for that there's um, a podcast uh i mentioned we mentioned this on another um talk about jujitsu how this dude jocko willing he was mm -hmm. saying how every cop should be a purple belt and i think that's very important because not only do they learn the physical skills of being a purple belt in jujitsu but i feel like as as you get to that level of purple belt, your mindset and your mental is much more healthier than your current state as not training anything. And I feel like cops have a huge responsibility in this society of having a, a healthy mental state. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. That should be a number one requirement. That should be number You're one requirement. A gun because that's you have a gang that you can call at any moment. If your mind's on the right place, you're just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and if your whole gang is in a fucking crazy mindset of just everybody's a perp and violence and you know what I mean, that's not anywhere near healthy. And it goes back to what you were saying, how if only the root of the problem was truly addressed, if people truly sat down with these people struggling in life instead of judging and just throwing them in a jail with drug addictions, instead of they sat down with them and listened to their life story and actually like shed a tear with them, I feel like the problem could be differently addressed than putting everybody in a like um like a stereotype almost, like a group and yeah, just well, you know the, the the thing is that they have the motive to send people to jail. Because a lot of yeah. our jails are privatized, mm -hmm. meaning that, you know, they're not government funded and they're looking to make a profit. So how do you make a profit in an institution designed to lock people up? You yeah. have to keep locking people yeah, up yeah, yeah. or at least keep them on a cycle. Of course. Right. Well, how do you keep people on a cycle? That means you have to be out there looking for looking people for it, to yeah. lock up. Right. So what do we know? They have to make a profit. You have to keep cycling people in and out of jail. So you have to look for people to lock up. So generally where they're going to look, they're going to look at the poorest areas because yeah. that's where the crime mostly yeah. happened. 
right? And, you know, the poorest areas happens to be a certain demographic, mm. you know, and then that's how, you know, people don't understand when people say institutionalized racism, you know, they can't make the link, you know, but if you have something that's incentivizing, locking people up, so you go to impoverished neighborhoods to lock people up, and the impoverished neighborhoods happen to be a certain demographic, then, um, I mean, what do you call that? If yeah. Not, yeah. Right. You know, so it's, it's clear and cut. Um, just I, I think so. you just have to address, go back. A lot of the things is incentivized by money, like our whole system, yeah. our whole political system. Like, how do we have people that we allow people to pay our politicians or fund their campaigns in order to push their agendas? Meaning you, you have pharmaceutical companies paying certain politicians campaigns or funding their campaigns that way when they get elected they pass laws that benefit the pharmaceutical companies yeah so as a result you have americans paying 10 times more for the same exact medicine that you can cross over to canada to get that doesn't make sense right that doesn't make sense yeah. but we allow that you know and i, I really don't understand why yeah. well, how do how do we allow that right because yeah, so, it's like you said it's all about money Right, you know, the oil companies, same things. Like, we could have had electric cars for, you know, a long time. We could have restructured the grid. We could have had green energy, you know, a long time ago. All of these technologies already But God already forbid exist. the guy on top loses his money. Right, you know, so then, you know, I mean, granted, you know, and even in, in a capitalist society, like, the goal is to make as much money and to be as efficient as possible. Yeah. How do you do that without automating the, an industry, right? Yeah. So you automate the car industry, put... Uh, uh, machines and factories you displace the people yeah. so it's inevitable you're gonna have people that are gonna be out of work so now what do you do right i think you have to restructure society so that because you can't keep capitalism because the people that are out of jobs then yeah. won't have the funds to buy the goods that are being produced by the companies so you have to restructure the system if we can create abundance if we can have machines produce the food for example yeah and we could create an abundance for food why do people need to pay for food? Exactly. Like th that doesn't make sense to yeah. me. Like, if we have the ability to do that, we mm -hmm. can make an initial investment. We spend $600 billion on our military, almost $700 billion, more yeah. than the next 10 yeah. countries combined. Right? So you're saying we can't make an initial investment to, like, fully automate, like, a, a certain industry and yeah. then, like, save people off of that? You know? Yeah, you'll displace people out of a job, but then just keep pushing you know, the, the, the automation. Because in theory, with this whole automation thing and AI especially, it's going to explode before we know it. We could really get to a point where humans are not necessary to keep the society we have now mm -hmm. going. And then we could all be chilling, in, in a sense. Right. We, could, we could do that. So, it's yeah, just a so matter of, does I, the powers that be want it to happen? Because I think their, their, their mentality is, well, what are humans going to do? Then the humans are going to be obsolete. Yeah, yeah. No, but we're not going to be obsolete. Okay? I... People don't have to be at cash registers yes. bringing stuff out. 100%. You can go travel. You know what I'm saying? You can go yes. and do whatever opportunity opens up for you. Like, what would you do if you didn't have to worry about money? If, you if had, your rent yeah. was paid, yeah, if your phone bill was paid, if your, your food you could, you is already there. You can like, live life how you were meant to live, man. Right. Yeah. And then people say the, the other kind of argument is we don't have the resources to really flesh that out. I mean, do we? I, I mean... Like, like people, for example, let's take cars, right? Like, you will say, you know, well, not everybody can have a Lamborghini. No, yeah, you're right. Not everybody can have a Lamborghini. But all cars are parked 90% of the time. Yes. Okay, that's, so, that's true? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, think about it. You get in your car, you go to work, you park it. You spend eight hours at work. You come back, you get in your car, you drive half an hour home or an hour home, yeah. you park it. You spend eight hours at home, that, yeah. you sleep, 
do whatever. You might go to the gym. You get in the car, drive another 15 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Out of your whole day, you may use your car two hours and in a 24-hour day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So why wouldn't it be more convenient to have like a system like Uber and Tesla, where the car drives itself, yeah. right? Where you can just order the car when you need it. Yeah. Get in the car, go where you need to go, and the car goes back. You know what I'm saying? And they they do all the maintenance and stuff at the shop, you know, and things yeah. like that. And the cars are always updated. That way you always have the best of what we have to offer, yeah. not some overproduction. Is, yeah. It's definitely possible because, I mean, us as a society, if all the humans came together and we're, and we're like, this is what we're going to make happen collectively we're going to make this happen there's no way i mean we have the tools so there's no way it's just a matter of everyone want being on the same page it's really hard with all the media and stuff because if someone were to come out and say that idea people would be like oh um they would just name it a certain you name. communist yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They just name it a certain communist. name before you know it there's no way it's gonna happen yeah i mean i think that's that's part of the issue so what i you know i tell these guys all the time uh what i think i think we're, we're seeing the end of our like social economic system and we're going to be looking to transition to something else and there's going to be a lot of like infighting amongst ourselves what do you mean by the end of our social economic system like this the capitalistic paradigm as as we get better in technology and ai like i said it's the goal of a company is to maximize production and minimize cost if you have a labor force where you have to pay now let's say 15 dollars an hour for each person and you may be sick you call out you know, you go on vacation and stuff like that. I got to find other people to replace you. People get people sue the companies all the time where you can make an initial $30 million investment to automate your whole industry. Mm-hmm. And now you don't need the machines don't take breaks. They don't need to go on vacation. Yeah. Right. So that $30 million would become an initial investment. They're, the company's going to maximize production and minimize costs because now they won't have a, a labor budget, you know. So um, I think that's. That's just the way capitalism is, is headed. You know, that's where it's going to go. And then as you displace the people from their jobs, they won't have money to purchase goods. So you're either going to need a government intervention where they give people money, like a universal basic income. Yeah. Or um, the, the system won't hold itself up because you won't have people buying, buying products. Right. And then people on the right don't want the government stepping mm-hmm. in, giving people money. You know, so you just have conflict. Do you, in your opinion, do you think the advancement in AI would um, it would make the world a better place? Do you think our best, like our interests, are in there? Like, um, how do I say it? Like, um, like do you we think are it, in their best interests? Yes, exactly. Do you think that um, it would just dehumanize the world more, or do you think it would actually become a better place? So I think we have a like a movie perception of what AI. Yeah, yeah. Um, I robot. But, but if yeah, you yeah. like. If you break things down, we're already mm. using yeah. uh, AI mm-hmm. um, in a lot of places. No, of course. You know? A lot of it is for our benefit. But do you think as it progresses to a very exponential level, it's going to become a point where humans are living for the better or for the worse in a way? If we do it right, I think we could live for yeah, the better. But that's what I'm saying. Do you, think, do you think they'll do it for the better? I mean, I, I can't answer that, right? Because it mm-hmm. really depends on mm-hmm. what outcome happens. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's... A lot of it, like if you see you see online, you know the political atmosphere is crazy. There's people fighting. Mm. They want certain kind of system. Yeah. Other people want to preserve the existing systems. Other people want something completely different. Whatever the result of this is, that's what's going to end up happening. We can, I mean, 
we can end up in a really bad spot, you yeah. know, end up be worse. AI yeah. could be put into the military and then we'll just yeah. have wars with like robots. Yeah. You know, it could they be don't put it in the military. Stuff like that. But we can have real practical uses uh, for AI that doesn't have to be that way. No, of course, it does, definitely know? doesn't have to. But you know. so at the end of the day, in a sense, we're the ones who are in control. We're in control. You know, there's too many people. Humans are not meant to be working together in a group this large. Um, you can't have a solid uh, group of people having the same opinion when it's millions and there's going to be so many. It's going to be a, a broken group. Well, I think w- what we should do is like if, if there's, you can take and if you look at society and treat it like uh, a science experiment where you apply the scientific method to society, I think you would have a better outcome than having lawyers and businessmen making the decisions yeah. now because th- that's what it is. Donald Trump is a businessman. He's a businessman. So he's telling the doctors that coronavirus is fake and all that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to opinionate on that. But you are a businessman mm-hmm. telling a doctor yeah. your medical opinion. Mm-hmm. And that that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? You know, so I think there's a, there's something wrong with that. So if we treat society and have... The people that are experienced, um, for example, if we're going to restructure the uh, the grid, right, and have green energy, you're going to have uh, engineers and stuff work mm-hmm. on it, making those decisions. You're not going to have a lawyer yeah, deciding yeah. we're going to use less carbon emissions for... No, bro, yeah. what? Yeah. What do you mean less carbon emissions, bro? Yeah. Get out of there. Have somebody in there that knows what they're talking yeah. about. You know what I'm saying? And then, and, and, and then we can get it done. And then the people, like, there's certain... If you eliminate the having to work, right? Because people now have to work in order to eat. They have to work in order to get paid. A lot of people work jobs that they hate. You know what I'm saying? Like, me, if you eliminated money right now, you don't need to pay me to do jujitsu. I'm going to do jujitsu tomorrow, regardless whether I'm getting paid for it or not. Yeah. You know? And there are other people like that. There are other people that will teach... There are other people that will be doctors and they're going to help people. You don't have to pay them, Mm -hmm. right? Doctors without borders. We see examples of that. Millions of Mm -hmm. doctors going across borders helping people for free, right? But the majority is a lot of people that don't enjoy their jobs. And if you take money away from that, they wouldn't go to work the next day. Right. They would go to work in a a different job, though. They 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 wouldn't go to work. But now let's think about it like this. What if the stuff is like, let's say we can automate the, uh, our, our agriculture, Right? Mm-hmm. We can make hydroponics and we can feed everybody, right? We can house everybody with, with advanced 3D printers. We can 3D print cement, right? Things like yeah. that have been done in China. We've printed houses in 24 hours, complete houses That's and structures, ridiculous. okay? Um, we have the technology needed to, to make a whole green energy grid. We don't have to depend on oil for anything. Between solar, wind, geothermal, yeah. uh, tidal, all, all of that combined, you don't need to have one. Like solar itself can power the whole world. Right, if used properly, but if you just take a little bit of solar, a little bit of wind, a little yeah. bit of geothermal, a little bit of tidal, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, and combine them all together, we can accomplish yeah. it that way, also. Right? So, if we can provide an abundance for everyone, right, where you don't need to go to that job that you hate, and you can honestly do what you like, if it's photography, great, so yeah. go and, and do some photography, if it's microbiology, great, you can even move to a place where people. Well, you'll be with other people who are yeah. studying microbiology, and then maybe yeah. you can help clean the oceans. You can solve yeah. that problem. You understand? You can repurpose the military, repurpose the cops to, like I said, instead of responding to crimes, 
solve the problem, right? A lot of the crimes are, are what? Because of land, right? Uh, canals, ports. Money. Right? Yeah. Money. Well, money because yeah. the, the ports, right? Yeah. So they, they want to trans. you know, it's yeah, all yeah. about yeah. money at the end of the day. Yeah. So if it's because of the poor, so you need access, that's what that means. So you need access. So the military should be like uh, repurposed to like go and find out what the problem is and then try to find solutions so that they won't be any more fighting, mm -hmm. you know, and the cops too, same thing, like, you know, like that. So since we're talking about money, I know that you were working at T-Mobile before. Mm -hmm. How long were you working at T-Mobile? When you started training, you were working at T-Mobile. Uh, I started working at T-Mobile first. Okay. Yeah. I was working at T-Mobile for eight years. Okay. Eight years, yeah. T-Mobile, uh, T-Mobile was good, bro. Treated me well. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Um, but um, the, you know, the reason I left was kind of because I, I came uh, to that epiphany. This is when I was researching, you know, all of this stuff, and, and that was one of the things that I that I realized. I said, you know, am I gonna spend a job? Like I said, T-Mobile treated me well, but it wasn't like I was waking up in the morning like, yes, let me go to, yeah, yeah. you know, let me go to my job. You know, sometimes I woke up and I'm like, geez, I do not want to deal with people yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, I decided I wanted to work for something that I loved, you know, what I did. So I started making steps to try to leave, you know, um, and it wasn't happening fast enough. So I kind of rushed it. Maybe I could have stayed a little more and planned it a little better. Uh, but I mean, I, I don't regret, you know, one, one second. So I don't regret one second. I feel like, I feel like I've been off of my job for two years. So know? the epiphany that you had was what, that money was this imaginary thing or what was the epiphany? Well, money is this imaginary thing, but not, um, <laughs> the epiphany was that I'm going to spend my time doing what I love and not. Uh, doing something that I don't like in order to feed uh, a system. Yeah, feed the machine. Uh, feed the machine. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to, you know, and then at the same time, what's hard is that because now you got to try to find a way to make it as lucrative or mm. more. Yeah. Than you know, T-Mobile was easy. The paychecks would just come in. You just had to show up. Yeah. You know. Whereas this, I kind of have to hustle for my own money, find ways to get it, yeah. multiple streams of income. You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> in terms of the money situation too um like i started focusing less on actual money i started focusing more on access because it's not real money that you need right um you need the stuff that money is going to get you yeah right yeah. you don't need uh the dollar bills you need the car that the dollar bills is going to get you that takes you from point a to point b um so i started focusing on trying to get those material things you mm -hmm. know uh any you know either with money or without but trying to get access to those things and not focus so much on the profit on, mm -hmm. on you know. Okay, so, so yeah, so then you started teaching full time, no? At uh Right, yeah. So I, I started yeah, I started teaching full time and that too was another thing that helped my game uh completely. So that if I had to two real big moments in my jujitsu game came when I started teaching where I saw like a real big transformation. And um, when I started studying tape, okay, those were the two biggest teaching and studying in tape game, yeah. Okay, um, and maybe the teaching because you start getting a different level of understanding of the technique as you explain what you're doing, mm -hmm. and then I know that as I'm explaining it, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is why I keep my elbow here is to make sure that this doesn't happen, you know. So that realization, I try to explain 
uh, to my students because that it wasn't really taught like that to me coming up, you know, when I first started. Whereas, like, you kind of learn the technique, but sometimes you don't know why you, why there's a certain placement. Why is your hand here as opposed to a little bit higher up? You know, like two, three inches will make yeah. a difference in a grip, you know, and sometimes... Uh, people don't explain that that well so that's what i try to do you have aspirations to making yourself do you try to elevate your teaching game yeah for sure because so this one thing that was a big shock to me but i understand a little bit more now that i've been training a little bit more is um so when i started boxing they showed me the jab the next day i went and they showed me the jab again the next day i went they showed me a jab again before i know it, i've been doing the jab for three months and um i kind of assumed that all the other combat sports taught you that way so uh for example they show you uh the the what was it called the umpus the bump where you like trap and roll the mm -hmm. trap and roll yeah and you do the trap and roll again and you do that shit for three months straight but then i realized right away whoa i'm learning like three things every time and now i've been going if i go twice a day and i go for six days this is an influx of so much information and at first i kind of thought is this an effective way not in a disrespectful way just me analyzing myself is this the most effective way to show it? Because I myself know that there are tons of things that I've been shown that I couldn't, I can't, I can't even remember maybe how to do them because I was shown too many things at once. Or I myself know that, for example, a neat cut pass, I know how to do it, but I definitely don't have all the details right. And I guess in a striking martial art or in a striking combat sport, when you don't have a detail right, you're gonna know it right away because someone's gonna counter you or hit you while you're throwing the punch or something. Whereas in the grappling, yeah, you might get uh, your position might might get worse, or maybe they'll they'll sweep you. But it's less of a whoa, I really did something mm -hmm. wrong because you're not getting snuffed. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think about that? Well, uh, there the reason. Well, I don't know if that's the reason why it's taught that way, but um, there are certain techniques that I've seen as white belt, seen as blue belt, as purple belt, and my perspective changes. Um, as as I get more experience, there's okay. certain details that I add. So think about it more like, um, try to grasp as much as you can. There's certain things that are going to stick with you. There's certain things that are not that are going to go over your head. Okay, stick to the stuff that sticks with you, and then try to perfect those, and then try to just add tools and add tools. There's almost like an infinite amount of tools and variation of techniques and variations in jujitsu they're not all going to be for you. There's going to be certain body types, certain variations are for certain type of, of, of body type, you know, and frame bigger people, smaller people. Mm. Um, so you got to stick for the stuff that works for you and then try to flush out those uh, techniques. And then as you get better and you're getting good with those techniques, try to find techniques that go together and start building little combos. So in jujitsu, you don't have jab, cross, hook, mm -hmm. you know, but you may have uh, knee cut to leg weave you know or knee cut to top spin you know and, and chain those two combos together and that might result in an arm bar or might result in a better positioning you know so and then the higher level you get the more you add to your chain you know so like you know it's typical for black belts to have four or five attacks six attacks you know where you as you're escaping you're actually going down the chain of their attacks you know you're getting deeper into the submission how would you say your your style of teaching is or, or what you're trying to get to? And what exactly do you expect of the people that you teach? I, what I'm trying uh, to do is what makes it efficient 
uh, for me to coach is when I say, I, I try to give a word that would equal a certain movement. So, you know, we do like advanced hip escapes. Advanced hip escapes is composed of three movements, right? Where you bridge, you lift your hips up off the ground, you do a hip escape, you slide your hips out, and then you close the gap to your hip to recover the guard. So kind of like, uh, you know, a computer program, mm-hmm. right? They have a function, uh, and that function executes a certain mm-hmm. task. So I want to be able to say, you know, like, let's say while you're rolling and you're caught in side control, and I say advanced hip escape, you should be able to execute those three yeah. movements. It's like the numbers in, in boxing. Right. You know, so like, yeah, if I say advance hip escape, it would be like a one, two, three. Yeah. So you boom, 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 and mm-hmm. execute your one, two, three, your whole combo, you know. Um, and I, what I, my biggest uh, focus right now as an instructor is to try to pass off the concepts, not so much mm-hmm. the actual technique. So like I said before, you know, uh, I think a lot of people are focused on, you know, you're going to left hand is going to grab the left sleeve. The right hand is going to grab this. Like, yeah, it's good to focus on the technique, but it's also good to focus on why are you grabbing the sleeve to begin with? You know, well, we're grabbing the sleeve to eliminate the mm-hmm. posting hand. You know, we're eliminating, uh, we're using our foot over here to get our partner off balance. Mm-hmm. You know, everything has a purpose mm-hmm. to when you're doing the move, and I'm trying to break it down to the most simplified uh, part. Because I feel like if you understand why you're doing yeah, it. Yeah. Instead of just memorizing. Right, because yeah. it may not be the grip. You may not like that sleeve grip. Jiu-Jitsu is very subjective sometimes. You may not like the sleeve grip. You may like the elbow grip, you know? But if you know that the purpose is just to keep the arm from posting, you're able to switch that grip without, um, you know, without problems. You can troubleshoot in a way to your favor. Whereas if you don't like the sleeve grip and you're having trouble doing that sweep, you may think, man, I have to get the sleeve grip, Mm -hmm. you know? You're fixated on this one. Yeah. 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 Uh, What are your goals in your Jiu-Jitsu career or whatever you want to call it? Um... I want to be a jiu-jitsu world champion uh, at the black belt level. Gi, um, no gi? Mainly in the gi, but I, I'll do both. Like I said, I, I really... But I've been striving for the gi, so I think that's just been one of my goals for so long. I don't want to just... Uh, there are other focus, like fight to win and super fights, and now no gi um, has been very lucrative for fighters as opposed to the gi. Mm-hmm. So like uh, I'm focusing on no gi a little bit more than before now, but... Um, I've had uh, the goal to become a Jiu-Jitsu World Champion in the Gi for so long. I just uh, that's one of my my boxes I want to check off. So, what are the steps you take to assure that? Do you, for example, do you do things that you think no other person or a very small percentage of people are doing that yeah. would give you a, a, a well, significant now, advantage? Um, I, now I'm I'm definitely training a lot more. Before I was training, you know, uh, six days a week. I was taking a rest day and. Now we decided not to take a rest day, so we're going full seven, seven days of jujitsu. Um, you know, trying to eat a little better. That's partly one of the hardest parts too is uh, the eating. Do you think you it makes a, dis- a big yeah. difference? Eating because you you could eat McDonald's for the rest of your life, and I could eat the healthiest diet ever. You're still gonna wash me. Yeah, but if only happening because I'm training more than you. But now let's say if we change our environment, right? Because our environment is what shapes our behavior. Let's say we change our environment to where you're training seven days a week. And then I added a good old eight years of training that I've had to your, uh, to your skill set, and you're eating better than me. You know, the, the result may be very different. So you're probably at a high level. Every little thing can, can really help you. Everything counts. Everything counts. You know, if you look at people like, 
you know, Gordon Ryan, a lot of people, you know, dislike him, you know, and they hate him for his, I, I didn't know that. his beliefs and stuff. A lot of people follow him. A lot of people love him. You know, I, I particularly am a big fan of his jujitsu. You know, he does say things that are controversial, but uh, I'm not focused on that. You mm -hmm. know, I'm focused on, on his jujitsu, and you can't take that away from him. Mm -hmm. You know, and then if you look at some of the, the things that he's doing, you know, um, it's just you see people taking vacation. He's really not. He's training, you know, all seven days, eating well, you know, and things like that. So if you look at all the best guys, that's what they're doing. JT is another one, JT Torres. Uh, it's a, you know, he's one of my favorite champions too, ADCC champ. He's a real hard worker too, trains like a, a workhorse. So, do you think I, that road work is, is necessary for Jiu Jitsu or not as much? Road work? Uh, running. Running three miles a day, four miles a day. Um, so I, I don't so much think so. So um, I think when you become efficient on your techniques, you get less tired. So you could take a marathon runner. They run 26 miles, right? They, they would have way more stamina than us, yeah. right? But you have them do a five-minute jiu-jitsu round. And at the end of those five minutes, you're going to get the same result as every white belt that comes in and does a five-minute round. Right, they're gonna be completely exhausted. Like, what did you bring me into? Yeah. Right, they may not even last the whole five rounds. Yeah. Right, people often they get tired the five minutes. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. they'll get tired within the five minutes. You know, so it's a different stamina. And I think if you're not efficient in your technique, you're gonna mm -hmm. exert a lot of force that you don't need to. Yeah. Whereas if you're more efficient, you're gonna exert less force. You get less tired. You know how to distribute your energy yeah. better. Yeah, what about sure. the? Whole, I know that uh, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys do. Um, not powerlifting, but uh, they do a lot of... Uh, Strength training? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's important. So that's one of the aspects I was lacking uh, I was lacking before, too. So we've implemented that into our, our game plan going forward now. Um, you're going to need a lot of, like, pushing pressure, explosiveness, uh, and things like that in some cases. Not that you need it, but it's certainly going to help if you're trying to do a sweep yeah. and you have the strength to... Yeah. You know, to tip your partner over, mm -hmm. right? One of the boxes in our sweeping fundamentals is pushing pressure. Yeah. Right. So um, you're gonna need that at some point, right? You know. So I don't think it would hurt you to yeah. develop that. You got any? You got any final shout outs? Anyone you gonna give a? Uh, you know, all my training partners. You guys are Bronx Jiu Jitsu, um, Latin Samurai, my main training partner there. You know, um, he has a fight coming up August 31st, uh, Austin, Texas, at the think who's number one so uh make sure to check them out there and um uh yeah uh you can visit my blog at bewaretheunderhook.com so um that's where I, I usually track my progress so i started that blog when i was a blue belt so um the goal of it was to uh you know track my progress as i gained uh, my black belt status it's uh, a video it's a blog so i have you know uh articles on there i put videos up um, you guys can donate there. There's a shop there too. You guys can buy jujitsu gear and things like that. You said so. beware.theunderhook.com. Yeah. And beware then the your Instagram. At jujits with LC. J I U J I T Z with LC. Uh, Sick, man. Yo, thank you for coming. All right, awesome, guys. Good thank luck on the world champion, man. Thanks, man. <laughs>